We are in our sixth week of this series we've called Text. We have been talking about the power of spending at least four days a week in God's Word on, O-N, your own, O-W-N, because we believe that when you spend time in God's Word on your own, you begin to take ownership of your faith. Your faith becomes yours. You begin to develop authentic, individualized relationship with Jesus that is not subject to a service or the gathering of ourselves together alone, but that it is yours. You take ownership of it. Uh, as we get into this series, I've got three things I really need to, or this final message, I've got three things I need to tell you really quickly. One is a, a piggyback off of just a, our gratitude for your generosity. I'm very grateful to be a part of a congregation of people um, who are extremely generous and extremely obedient as God purposes in your heart. So because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness, we were able to host a very large Christmas program, an almost overwhelming Christmas program. And in the midst of hosting that program uh, with close to 2,000 people coming through in those three or four days, I can't even remember how long we extended it now, but we realized that we don't have to be on 190 uh, to be found, that people will make the drive to a church that's alive, amen. That's just the way that this thing works. So because of your giving, we were able to do that, and we also happened to see a for sale sign <clears throat> on the telephone pole at the edge of our property and we called the number and I am happy to announce um, along with confirmation from our board and elders and then a uh, unanimous vote in a special business meeting by the voting members at this church and now officially from the attorney's office who is in charge of the title, we own 26 acres of land right here all the way around us and we will dream and pray for God to help us get those things that we want to see done here. I don't even want to mess you up and give you a timeline because I have hopes for things that are always sooner than they seem to happen. So I don't want you to come, hey, why isn't this turn? I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you get on a tractor and go do it? That's, that's just how I am. So I don't want to do that to you. The other thing I want to show you real quick is this uh, devotional that we've been in. It's called Hope. Can we show that real quick? I want you, if you have not downloaded this, this is a phenomenal devotion. Okay, this is a, uh, uh, it has a video at the opening of every day. And look, if it takes you 20 days to do a 10 day or the next 30 days to do a 10 day, I'm telling you that this one by Pastor Max Lucado is catch yourself right up. Um, I don't want to miss this. Every week, as was mentioned, we have several people that can't be here, that may not live here, um, or that may just be out for the week, which we recommend. Go on vacation. Uh, just stay salty and take Jesus with you. Like, don't lose your saltiness. Go on vacation. Just don't leave Jesus here. Leave your tithe here. Take Jesus with you. That's our, we, we are for you having a great time and going on vacation. There's a lot of people that tune in every week, and then every week we're able to stream our services into the Eunice Correctional Facility 
facility. We have brothers and sisters in Christ down there that ask for our services. Would you just real quick welcome them, make sure they know how glad we are. <clears throat> As we bring this series to a fruition, as we kind of land this plane in this text series, I, I want to talk to you today about seeing as God sees. I'm going to confess forward, I'm going to step on your toes a little bit today, okay? I, I, may, get in your, I may get in your feels a little bit, to say it uh, in, in southern slang. Um, I may even be a little bit too blunt. I may be a little too honest this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, I, I hope you've, you come back. Uh, maybe you check out some other sermons. I'm not this way all the time, um, but I do believe that Jesus was full of grace. He was full of grace, and, and he loved people, and he was merciful to people, but then he was also full of truth, and he preached on hell 33 times in three years. Um, he was very honest with people, um, specifically when we needed it the most, and, and sometimes, sometimes, depending on the heart behind it, telling someone the absolute truth is the most gracious thing that you can do. You just don't get to use truth as an excuse to be a jerk, okay? So that's not what we're doing today. I just wanna be honest with you. I wanna talk about seeing the world as God sees the world. The first power statement that I have for you, it's in your notes on the back of your bulletin, or you can pull it up on unischurch.com notes. This is the statement that we will build upon, and that is that the roots we develop determine the fruit <clears throat> that we produce. <clears throat> the roots we develop determine the fruit that we produce, which is it's just really important for you to understand. You know, some of us, um, man, we, you ever, somebody in your family, maybe one of your friends, uh, has just, you've referred to them, never yourself, obviously, but, a, a, you know, a crazy uncle or something. It's just a, he's just a bad apple. You know what I mean? He's just a bad apple. Um, you, you got some, we've got some bad apples in our lives sometimes. Maybe a few worms that don't belong, you know, crawling around in there. It may look good on the outside, but on the inside, just got some stuff going on nobody <laughs> needs to see. And you can, look, you can polish it up. You can call it whatever you want to. Uh, but if it's bad fruit, it's just bad fruit. And, and you don't fix the bad fruit by, by just cutting away the worm uh, or the brown spot or uh, putting it in the refrigerator and hoping it lasts a little longer. Come on, somebody with bananas. Come on, I said, just because they turn brown don't mean they bad. It's just, they bad on the outside. They just a little mushy on the inside. Make a pudding or something. Anyway, it's, you, don't deal, you don't clean up the fruit by dealing with the fruit. You clean up the fruit by dealing with the root. Okay, you go to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is usually not what we think or what we know, but how we apply what we think and what we know. And if we will get in God's word and stop agreeing with his word, start believing in his word, be stewards of his word, apply his word to our lives, then the Bible says that he is living water for our soul. So you could get living water flowing through your roots. You could get cleansing and washing flowing through your roots root system, which will affect your trunk. And so how many of you know, some of us need some trunk effect. I'm just this, we just need some trunk effect at times. This thing, this thing will tell you how to eat. It will tell you when to sleep. It will help you if you'll take ownership of it. If you will get involved in it and apply it to your life, it will clean up the roots and ultimately affect 
the fruits. That's what we get when we get in his word because God's word will not return unto him void. When we spend time with him, when we take ownership of our lives and we get in his word, many people make claims. But I wonder how many, I wonder the percentage of people that claim to be Christian versus people who actually are Christian. And, 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 I wanna, and I wanna evaluate my life, not so that I can walk around scared that I'm going to hell, that's not the point. The point of the evaluation, the point of the examination is for me to make an adjustment. Is for me, if I'm offended by something that God's word says, then I don't have to carry the offense around and walk around angry at God and angry at the world. No, 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 I just make, a, make an adjustment. As Paul said in the book of Acts, that I would repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. That's all I have to do when I'm offended or when I, when I see something that it's in my life that doesn't belong. Many people make claims, but I wonder how many people who claim to be Christian actually are. For instance, my wife, uh, is she, I, I, you saw her just a minute ago, like, I, I love having her receive offering, I, I love having the girls receive offering, I think they do a great job, you know, I mean, she, she just has a way um, of, of getting your money, I, I don't know, it's just like, she's gotten all of mine, I didn't even mean for it to happen that way, and I'm just like, yeah, here you go, you can have my wallet and my house and everything, so just be pretty, thank you, so anyway, so, but, and if I were to tell you that, that her, her five foot two hundred pounds uh, was, was at one point, a, uh, a cheerleader at Louisiana, that was BC by the way, ain't nobody touching my baby's booty with their hand, I don't care how they justify it, okay, that ain't happening in this life, I'm just, that's my house, it don't have to be your house, it's just my house, but she was a, <laughs> she was a cheerleader at Louisiana Tech in, uh, in college, and, and if I made that claim, then you would probably go, oh yeah, well I could see how she would be easily held over somebody's head, that's not the biggest deal in the world, that's a claim that because of fruit, or evidence you could look at and you could see clearly. But if I were to tell you that um, before we were living for God and called into ministry vo full-time vocationally, that Megan played uh, in the Women's National Basketball Association, <laughs> um, you would probably have a hard time like, man, she must have been really quick or something. I mean, it's like, just a scurvy little thing, just running all over the place. But, and it, it, but, but if I took you out to that basketball goal and I said, baby, throw it up, let them see what you got. And then she were to do that little kick thing that she does when she shoots. And then the ball went over the backboard like she did the first time we went and played basketball at LSU. She'd be like, you didn't play basketball. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you claim. What you claim and what you do don't line up. In other words, what you're advertising is not what's being produced. There's something wrong happening. And it's not the production. It's the root. You need to go to the issue. Because 5'2 ain't playing in the women's basketball league. It just ain't happening unless she can shoot the lights out from half court. And some of us are trying to live a six foot life, but we're satisfied with remaining five foot two in the Word of God. Some of us are trying to live as, as men and women of God. The problem is we're still drinking milk as babies. And we, whoo, and we gotta take ownership. We gotta take ownership that's not dependent upon other people. That's not dependent upon other people giving us his word, but us spending time in his word on our own. So the question is, through what lens do I view my world? Through what lens do I view my world? Do I view my world through the lens of my feelings? Do I live my world, do I view my world through the lens of my desires? 
Um, I made this illustration earlier. <clears throat> I love the Rocky movies, all eight of them. Some of y'all are like, there's only five. No, 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 there's another new one. And then there's two creeds now. There's, there's eight, it's awesome. There's, they're, they're everywhere. There was a fifth and sixth, and then there's, there's even some that you can find on Amazon that aren't real Rocky movies. They kind of look like them, though. So it's good stuff, I'm telling you. I, I love, I, my favorite, though, is Rocky Four. I couldn't remember the Russian's name, but somebody helped me. When Ivan Drago, he kills Apollo Creed, which is not the greatest thing in the world, but it's just a movie. Don't get upset. He's still alive, okay? And so, but then Rocky goes and fights him, and then they come to the middle of, this, of the center, and, and, and Ivan Drago is standing in the middle and does like, this and Rocky goes to give him daps with his glove and he's like and Ivan Drago goes I must break you and I'm like yes I don't even like this guy kill Rocky no wait don't kill Rocky so he beats the fool out of Rocky and, and my feelings are just all over the place like I'm excited sad you know I'm like oh wow this guy is massive he's cheating but it's cool like I don't even care and so we watch this movie well then at the end of the movie Rocky goes to Russia and he's and he's preparing for the the war the battle between Russia and United United States was a really big deal because there was this thing called the Cold War, which was almost like the end of the world. And so if you go, go back and study, that was supposed to be funnier for the five history people in the room. But anyways, um, <laughs> so this whole thing happens and Rocky's training in the snow and he's bleeding, but it's freezing and there's nothing cooler than frozen blood. I don't know what it is, but just like, yeah. So he goes and he fights the Russian and he doesn't get knocked out in the first round. You're like, we have hope. Yeah, it's the Cold War We're in a video. Maybe they won't press the button. And so we're watching in this movie and all of a sudden halfway through the movie Rocky starts to win and all the Russians start cheering for Rocky and my feelings are everywhere like all over the place now I'm on the plane on the way to Africa I'm supposed to be preparing for ministry but they have Creed 2 as a movie available where Ivan Drago's son fights Apollo Creed's son in Russia and I am all up in my fields on this airplane. I mean, I'm watching this movie and the hair on the back of my neck standing up. I mean, I'm having like a non-biblical revival in this airplane over Apollo Creed's son beating the snot out of Drago's son. It is a great movie, but you know what? I was not receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. I was watching a movie. Listen, you cannot confuse spiritual things with fleshly feelings. You cannot combine those two things and say, hey, because I feel it, it must be spiritual. Because the flag blows in the wind and the airplanes fly over the stadium, I get goosebumps, it doesn't mean I'm about to receive my prayer language. Spirituality and emotionality are not the same. They can work beautifully together, but one does not determine the other. In other words, you can sit down with this word, not feel a thing, and heaven can still be happy, on fire, and excited over your obedience despite your feelings. The lens of feelings will lead you astray. It will cause you to not do things that you should have done and to do things that you should have never done. The lens of my desire will cause me to look at people that are not my spouse in a way that I shouldn't look at them. The lens of my desire 
will cause my spouse to dress for attention that should not be given to her. The lens of my desire would cause us to lust in our eyes, to lust in our flesh. Instead of being able to celebrate people who are being promoted and prosperous, despite whether you know how much they give into the kingdom of God or not, it will cause you to become bitter that you don't have what they have, but even though you haven't gone through what they've been through, or maybe in the midst of the, the fact that they don't even deserve it. Whatever it is, if you're in your desires, then you will become bitter instead of being able to celebrate them. The lust of your eyes and the lust of your flesh, the pride of this life will cause you to miss out on the desires of this life that God has for you. We all have a worldview, a way in which we view the world around us. It could be based on where we live, it could be based on the culture in which we live. It could be based on the generation in which we live, the century in which we live, our upbringing, our parents, our denomination, all of these things, our season of life, whether we are children or in our teens or 20s and 30s, and our view of the world changes dependent upon what season of life we're in. Listen to me, 15-year-old, it's gonna affect you when you're 50 if you form the habits now. Listen to me, 50-year-old, stop whining about what happened to you when you were 15 and give your life to Jesus and become who he created you to be today because our feelings are not the essence of our soul. He is our desires and our feelings, our wants and our thoughts are not what we follow. I would have been a manipulating, womanizing dream chaser. Now I'm just a dream chaser that gives God the glory when the dream comes true. I would have never seen the things that God had for me had I followed my feelings. Is my view of the world biblical? We all have a worldview, but is my worldview a biblical worldview? When I was a fifth year senior in my, my final year of playing ball at LSU Shreveport, I, um, I, all of a sudden after like the first two and a half weeks of the season, I just, I couldn't hit, I'm telling you, like I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a two by four. Like if I fell out of a boat, I'd have missed the water. I'm telling you, I was, I was messed up. I, I couldn't see, I couldn't hit, and I know what it was. See, I had trained really hard my fourth year, and I had gotten up to about 210 pounds and taken four-tenths of a second off of my 60 time, and I had gotten really fast and really strong, and then somebody else showed me some testosterone stuff that they were taking, and so I began to put that in my body as well. And so for the, about three months, at the end of my workout cycle, I gained, I gained just about three or four more pounds. I got a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, but then I went into the season, and even though I tapered off like I was supposed to, that stuff was never supposed to be in my system to begin with. So even though I came out of the gate and I was really hot for the first couple of weeks, when that stuff got out of my system, my body began to freak out, to say the least. My vision went bad. My reactions went bad. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to see and react and do the things that I needed to do. I wasn't 
able to pick up the spin on the baseball. I struck out 19 times in two weeks. I only struck out 29 times my whole senior year. My whole season, I only struck out 29 times. Struck out 19 times in two weeks. So I was like, I, I, I told my dad, Tim, I was like, man, I can't see. Something's going on. Like, I'm swinging at junk that's bouncing before it ever gets there. Like, if I spun around in a circle, I might hit it by the time it got there. I mean, you never know. So we went to the eye doctor, and I got these. Now, I stopped wearing them because um, I almost broke them a couple of times, and then I just got my, my contacts. But when I put these on, man, I didn't see. Like, I saw better than 2020. I saw better than I was even supposed to. I could see that like these glasses, actually these glasses, and my eyes have stayed the same ever since, praise God. Like I stopped taking stuff I'm not supposed to take and all of a sudden I'm who I'm supposed to be, it's crazy. But I, I have had these ever since and, and I still use them today if, if I can't see something uh, enough or specifically. Uh, in fact, some of the times that I use them um, is when I, when I go hunting. I put on a pair of glasses because I will sit in what we call the Dorcheat Bottoms, uh, which is a bayou in the state of Louisiana. It is north of Alexandria, but it is still a bayou and it is still in the state of Louisiana. And if you would like to come one day, I can show you that it looks just like some of these with less trash in it. I'm sorry, okay, so anyways, uh, it's a great place, a good good place to go hunting. And, and we'll sit in those in the bottoms of those bayous and, and we'll look and, and try in a box blind on the ground and you, you're trying to determine, it was like, man oh wow is that a 12 point buck oh man I don't know nope that's a limb that's a limb for sure yeah yeah that's a lot of branches man that'd be a big buck though man what if that log was a body golly that'd be a big deer and then there's a there's a deer standing right here like man has a big and she's standing there going that's only funny if you know what I'm talking about. See, anyways, uh, so, but the way that there are times when I can't really tell that, and I will pull these, these binoculars out of my bag, I, I can't really see clearly. Like, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm missing the mark. I, I can't distinguish what is and what is not. And so I will pull these out and I'll just hold them in my hand. I'll be like, oh yeah, I can see it now. Yeah, I'll walk around with it. I'll put it on my four-wheeler and carry it around in my vehicle and be like, seeing clear as day now. It's like, can't get nothing by me, devil. Got my binoculars in my hand. I can see you trying to, no, no, no. But I got to take them out of the case. And then if I just put them up like this, I'm still not going to be able to see. I got to open them up. I have to apply them. And then when I do, I can all of a sudden, I can see clearer. I can see further. I can see more consistently. I can make out the things that do not belong and the things that do belong. So all the areas where I used to be missing it and all the areas where I used to swing and spin around in a circle and look like a fool and an idiot, all of a sudden I'm beginning to let the things go by me that are supposed to go by me and swing at the things that I'm supposed to be swinging at. I'm not missing what God has for me any longer. I'm connecting and he's sending it further than I even knew it could go. I, not only can I do it up close, but I don't have to wait to get right up on it to see and figure out what it is. I can see it at a distance when I get through the lens of his word. I can see clearly, even far away and consistently. And so I can know if there's 500 hogs over there and I've got a pea shooter with me, probably not going to walk over there and take them on just because I'm loud and I can trample over the baby ones because the big ones are going to take me out. So I stay away from the swine of this life. I stay away from the evil of this life. I shoot them at a distance though. I'm telling you, that's fun. Like, when they just go all over the place like, anyways, don't do that. It's, it is legal. It's fun too. But clean them up and then eat them or give them somebody whatever it is 
I don't have to get right up on it any longer. When my worldview, when my worldview is biblical, Jesus said it this way in John chapter eight, verse 31. He said to the people who believed in him, he was talking to the people that claimed to be Christians, that claimed to be believers. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Not if you heard them one time, but if you remain faithful. Another version actually said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Then you will, then you will know the truth. Verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. Uh, Exodus, Egypt, you're slaves for 400 years. See, that's what's wrong with the church. We get to a certain point in this walk and we forget who we were. We forget where we came from. And we make the mistake of believing that just because we made a decision to cross the Red Sea that all of a sudden we're gonna inherit the promised land. But that's not the case. The case is the only place that you, the only way that you inherit the promised land is if you stay in the will of God and that you become who he created you to be because you remember who you were without him. Well, I'm not really that bad. Well, that's great. Heaven's not for good people, it's for saved people. So even if you think you're a good person, you gotta be in Christ in order to inherit his kingdom. You can do all the good that you want to and you can write it off on your taxes, pat yourself on the back at the end of the year, but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross, be raised from the dead so that people could be good. He did that so that people could be holy, so that people could be like him. So it's not that we become better, it's that we become born again. It's not that we become tolerant, come on somebody, we become transformed. And we're able to walk into places that we never would have been able to walk in and shed light that we would have never been able to shed because we have a biblical worldview, we remain in Christ, and we pr produce the fruit of a surrendered and transformed life. What do you mean you will be set free? We've never been slaves to anybody. What do you mean? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave. And a slave is not a permanent member of a family, but a son, but a daughter, as part of a family forever. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Here's what we need to know. When we stay in his word, when we stay in his word, we see through his lens. We see further, we see clearer, and we see more consistently. We don't swing and miss unless God's wanting to hone something out of us. Even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the valley, we can pick up the lens of his word and we can see him standing over the hill, waving over the top of our enemies and preparing a way that we would have never been able to see had we not have stayed in his word all the way to the end. When we stay in his word, we see through his lens. We live on target. We see through the lens of what God shows us. We view the truth from the lie when we look through his word because the world likes to sell us a whole lot of different things. Let me give you an example. The world would like to teach us that love is a feeling that you follow and you act upon whenever you want to. But God's word says that love is a commitment, that love is patient and kind. 
See, Hollywood tells us that love could be found in a notebook, and if you don't like the one that you're with, then you can just go try to find somebody else. But the Word of God says that love is patient, and love is kind, and love is long-suffering. Love doesn't envy, love doesn't lust, it's not jealous, it's unconditional. It stays the course even when it doesn't feel like, because love is not a feeling, love is a commitment. The, word, the world would like to show you that, that all you need to do is be happy. But happiness, unfortunately, is dependent upon circumstance. And the world lives in this theology of happiness. But God's word calls you to joy unspeakable and full of glory. It means you can stare in the face of hell and walk right through it because you have the joy of the Lord and his salvation is your strength. In the midst of all the struggle, you know that you have a great defender that will walk you through hell and back just to celebrate himself. Come on, somebody. That's what God's word teaches you. The world wants to sell to you a lie, but when you look through the lens of his word, you can distinguish the truth of what things really are. The Bible doesn't change what it says when we put skin around it. The Bible doesn't change what it says just because we want something else. The Bible stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is the only thing that will never pass away. And it does not submit to our desires, our thoughts, our feelings, or our wants. In fact, we are not called to try to make the Bible fit our theology, our desires, our feelings and our thoughts. And the world that we live in today is attempting to make scripture fit in with what it wants. But a true transformed life in Jesus Christ doesn't try to make his word fit its life. It makes his life fit his word. And the word of God becomes the plumb line before which we measure everything. So if I don't feel, then I look at his word. If I don't think, I look at his word. It doesn't matter how I was raised, how old I am, whether I'm in a culture that accepts things that shouldn't be accepted, or I'm in a culture that teaches me that I need to wear a yarmulke and grow out my beard to a certain length, which I'm all for, but not the yarmulke part. So anyways, it, whatever it is that we live in, it's not subject to the culture around us. It is subject to his word. So when people, people come to me and say, pastor, what do you think? I'll say, who cares what I think? What does his word say? Well, what do you feel? Who cares what you feel? What does his word say? Well, I just won't. Who cares what you want? What does his word say? When we stop living our lives through the lens of our own thoughts, feelings, and desires, and we begin to live our lives through the lens of his word, then the church will once again make a difference in the culture of which it was placed. That's God's call upon our life, is to live our lives through the lens of his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I got to read quickly. That clock is staring me in the face. Rebuke that devil. You should know this. I love how he starts that. You should know this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation just because it's easier for me to understand if you have a, a biblical doctrine degree and you understand King James Version better than you read that to me later. I like this one. You should know this. Timothy that in the last days there will be very difficult times. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna get a little difficult. Like, 
we're going to pray and we're going to believe for God's best, but at some point, it's going to be harder to come to church than it is right now. It's going to be even harder to give and believe God. It's going to be even harder to serve and be fulfilled. At some point, this thing is not going to be the norm, and you're going to see who's still in the house of God and who's still standing. And all the people that claim they were are going to be wondering what happened. But the ones that stood in Christ and remained in Christ are going to be the living examples of His love. You should know this, that it will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. Notice, listen, money is not evil. The love of money is the root. Remember the root affects the development of the fruit? There's nothing wrong with money. In fact, I just pray a blessing of God over every single one of you. I pray heaven's favor fall out upon you. And you learn how to give consistently, obediently, and extravagantly so that we can continue to do what God's called us to do in this community, state, nation, and world. And never have to worry about the dollars that are coming because people are being so generous and so faithful. I believe financial favor for your life in this season of your life. I'm for that. I am not against money. I'm not against nice things. I'm against the fact that you put it before God. I'm not against baseball, but if all you do during baseball season is live for baseball and you put Jesus on the back burner, hmm, I'm not against vacation. I'm not against academics. I'm against anything that we put above God even for a season of our lives, and we justify it. And when things get difficult, the first thing to go is always church. When things get difficult, the one thing that becomes optional is Jesus. And I'm calling you to a new standard. I'm getting all up in your feels today. I'm telling you that our worldview is not biblical at all times, and it should be. And when it's not, we begin to make decisions like the people that we look down our nose at instead of being a living example that they could follow all the way to the end. We need to keep our worldview biblical. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient. Woo, what? That part got in there disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. So here's what I'm saying. I, I just, we, we did youth ministry for long enough. We still have very close relationship, like, like brotherly relationship with our student pastor to this day. And I have seen a whole lot of teenagers that say they love Jesus, but they have a really hard time obeying their teacher. Crazy. I've seen a lot of teenagers say they love Jesus, but they can't honor their daddy or their mama to save their life. Love Jesus? I love Jesus. Oh, I worship you, Lord. But mama shows up and we scoff and we're ungrateful. So listen, don't tell me that you love Jesus if you can't honor the authorities in your life. And I'm not just preaching to teenagers right now. Adults do it too. Grown children do it too. See, if you don't like the authority that God put in your life, then you better learn how to honor that one or he'll just keep sending you the same one over and over again in a different form. Because God is not looking for some people that can lead. He's looking for some saints that would be willing to follow. He's not looking for a lot of people that want to be celebrated because of a title that he will put on them. He's looking for a lot of servants that will be humbled to a towel despite whose feet they're washing, whether they like them or not. That's God's word. That is who he's calling us to be. They will consider nothing sacred. Hello, my generation. And I stand in the gap. I'm telling you, the United States of America is in trouble. This nation and this world is in trouble. But listen to me. We have this hope as an anchor. And we don't look down our nose at the people that aren't like us. We better stand as a city on a hill and be the light in the darkness that would draw them into the places that they don't even know that they need to be. And the only way that we're gonna do that is when we see them as he sees them. 
and we're broken over their pain and over their sorrow, and we give them a hospital to come in and be healed. That is God's will for us, not to be boastful and arrogant and proud and nothing sacred. They'll be unloving, unforgiving, they'll slander others and have no self-control. Tell me you love Jesus, can't keep your hands to yourself. Tell me you love Jesus, can't keep your eyes to yourself. Tell me you love Jesus, can't celebrate other people's victories. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They'll love pleasure rather than God. In fact, if their pleasure's taken away, they'll stop believing in God. If their pleasure and their comfort is challenged, then they'll think it's a sign from God. Whereas the first century church saw persecution as part of the promise. The 21st century church sees persecution as an excuse to stop following Jesus, to sit back on the sidelines and watch other people do it for them. Whoo, I told you I was gonna get up in your fields. If I'm stepping on your toes this morning, stop standing where I'm preaching. Verse four, they will betray their friends. They be reckless, puffed up pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. <laughs> but they will reject the power that could make them godly. God is not calling us to be good. He's calling us to be godly. Stay away from people like that. In other words, don't saturate yourself with people like that. He's not telling you to stop being a light in the darkness. He's not telling you to neglect the work of evangelist. He's saying, don't let those people carve you out of who God created you to be. Don't let people like that shape you away from who God is transforming you into. In fact, you should be able to jump into the den of lions and stand with the angel of the Lord. They are kind. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. And I just couldn't help but think of a TV preacher that tells you that if you send him $1,000, you can receive your healing. That is heretical doctrine from the pit of hell and don't you ever succumb to it. I'm telling you right now, my miracle's not dependent upon what I send to somebody that tells me something on TV. My miracle's dependent upon whether Jesus decides to show himself in that manner that day. That's the only thing my miracle is dependent upon. I don't confess my sins to other people and expect forgiveness, and I don't send my money to other people and expect miracles. I pray before one God, one Lord, one Christ, one Spirit, one church. That's what I believe in. But vulnerable people will do vulnerable, vulnerable things. Such people, women, children, men, are forever following new teachings. They just jump from place to place depending upon what feels good, but they're never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. Let me take you to the book of Exodus. Janus and Jambres were the magi magicians of Pharaoh. And when Moses threw his stick on the ground, Pharaoh brought in his magicians to throw their sticks on the ground. And when Moses' stick turned to a serpent, so did Janus and Jambres' sticks. See, the world is very good at reproducing something that looks like it's supposed to, but it lacks the power thereof. The enemy can come in many forms, even as an angel of light. It looks like the right thing. It feels like the right thing. Well, I love them. Surely I can live with them. I love them. Surely I can express myself physically with them. No, the covenant doesn't change just because you change what you want. 
Just because the culture says it's okay, covenant should affect culture. Culture never affects covenant, but it affects you. It affects your calling if you let it. So Janice and Jambers throw their sticks on the ground. They turn to serpents and Pharaoh says, look, see, we produce the same thing. And then all of a sudden, the word of God swallows up the two serpents. It consumes the replica. I'm telling you, if you can get in the, whoo, the truth of this thing, if you can just apply it to your life, then the word of God will begin to swallow up all the replicas in your life that look like the same thing, but they lack the power thereof. God will begin to consume things that were distracting you, confusing you, dividing you, and discouraging you, and all you gotta do is stand there and watch him do it because I praised because I prayed because I worshiped his word did what only it could do they opposed Janice and Jambres they depraved their minds in a counterfeit faith but they won't get away with this for long someday everyone will recognize what fools they are look like the real thing but lack the power but you Timothy certainly know what I teach how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Paul used the crucified life as the example to follow. Jump down to verse 14, I gotta fly. You must remain faithful. You must remain faithful. You don't just make a decision and go about it seasonally. Make a decision and do it if you want to. No, no, you look through the lens of scripture. You continue in his word. You remain faithful to his word. Then you are to his disciples. Verse 16, why? Because all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong. You see the truth for what the truth is and the lie for what the lie is. So even if it feels good for a moment, you're able to crucify that flesh because you know that you're seeking the eternal over the temporary. You see the truth for what it is. It corrects us when we're wrong. <laughs> It amazes me how mad people get when you try to bring just an ounce of correction into their lives. They'll call you every name under the sun. You're a judgmental, hypocritical bigot. No, 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 look, I, I, I care about you. I'm not angry. I'm trying to help you. But you can't even bring correction to people. But you can bring correction to a Christian because a Christian thrives on correction. A Christian thrives on being coached to the next level. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The difference between having a worldview and a biblical worldview is that my life fits his word, even when his word doesn't fit my life. That's the difference. That God doesn't want us to be happy, he wants us to be blessed. That God doesn't want us to be good, he wants us to be born again. That everything doesn't happen for a reason, but God can bring reason to everything that happens. 
Let me give you these three things really quick. Number one, God's word will change the way you think. God's word will change the way you think, change the way you look at life. It'll change your worldview. Where is my negative view of this world causing negative influence? God's word will change the way that you think. It'll change the way that I think. It'll change the way that I perceive. And if God can change the way that I think, then he can change who I am because as a man thinks, so he is. If God can get me to repent in my mind, stop looking down my nose at everybody else, stop preaching with the preacher and expect him to be talking to somebody else and look through the lens of God's word and let it reflect into my own heart, start making adjustments thereof. Stop using the mirror, the mirror of God's word to deflect on the other people that we think need to hear it and start using it to reflect who God's creating us to be. And it'll change the way that we think. Number two, God's word will develop the leader in me. Well, I'm not a leader. Do you have influence over one person? If you have influence over one person, you're a leader. And when you get in God's word, you'll forget your opinion and you'll start making a difference. You won't value what you think over who they are or who they're not. In other words, you won't just live to make a point and to be right. You'll live to make a difference because God is. We'll look into the lives and the hearts of other people. We'll care more about them than what we want. Finally, God's word will demolish strongholds. Demolish strongholds. So we won't walk around in a spirit of bitterness. We won't walk around in a spirit of offense. We will not be easily tempted. We will not be easily tricked. We will not be easily distracted because we understand that our weapons are not dependent upon the flesh, but they are mighty in power and able to abolish strongholds. We won't stay stuck in the same old sin over and over and over again. We won't but remain slaves. We will become sons and daughters. We won't follow our feelings and be tossed to and fro by the waves of this world, but we will stand firm in our faith because we're in a boat and we're in the boat with Jesus. Our view of this world will be dependent upon what he said, not what we think. So my biblical worldview causes me to be holy as he is holy. My biblical worldview causes me to leave my mother and my father's house for one man to be joined with one woman and for me to not even look at a woman to lust for her as I would commit adultery in our heart. My biblical worldview says it's better to be married at an early age than it is to continue to fornicate because we don't want to be married because we hadn't gotten through college yet. My, whoo, I done gone there. My biblical worldview causes me to live at a standard that his word requires of me even when it doesn't line up with what I desire in that moment. My biblical worldview causes me to not worry about the day because I serve a God that is God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. My biblical worldview causes me to be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. All Offer my request unto God and receive the peace of God that transforms my heart and takes control of my mind. My biblical worldview tells me that sorrow may last for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. My biblical worldview tells me that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, my King, whenever I am willing to go through the sufferings of his persecution and experience the power of his resurrection. My biblical worldview changes how I see the world and ultimately how I live. And that's not something that this world likes hearing. 
but it is the God honest truth. And I'm not angry. I'm not. I'm scared to death. Because I see crowds of people that claim they're Christian and that their life doesn't look any more like this than the atheist headed to hell in a basket that doesn't even care. And I don't get it because my biblical worldview says you know that you know him if you keep his commandments. My biblical worldview says that if you say you abide in Jesus, then you will walk as he walked. Father, this morning, I pray that we would stop trying to make your word fit our lives and we would begin to allow the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to penetrate soul and spirit inside of us, to penetrate what we think and what we feel from what actually is. God, right now, I pray that we would let your word be our guide and that we would only lead people out of fully surrendering to follow Jesus with all of our hearts. That our worldview would not be based on what we want, what we think, what we desire, but that it would be based upon what your word says. That's Christianity. That is discipleship. If we continue in your word, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Father, right now, let us ask this question. Is there anything in my view of the world that is not biblical, that does not line up with your word? God, I pray that it would convict us not condemn us, not that we don't have any control over it, but convict us, convict us to evaluate, convict us to examine, convict us to make an adjustment, to make a change, to repent, change the way that we think, turn to God and do works that reflect that repentance. God, may the fruit that we produce be an expression of roots that you're developing. Lord, right now, if there's anything in us that we need to change, let us change it. Don't get mad. I just rebuke a spirit of, of offense or defense right now. And I just pray the Holy Spirit rule and reign in this place. God, if there's anybody in here right now that needs to repent, that needs to turn to you, receive salvation today, deal with the root, rededicate their lives because they've drifted away and the fruit of their life doesn't look any different than the world that they live in. God, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would have his way.